Is it time North American Professional Sports League embraced the idea of promotion and relegation, especially when you're offered $4 billion to do so? And the state of Canadian golf, we're shining a light on it this Canadian Open Week. All that straight ahead on TSN 1050. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. What's up, Toronto? 11 o'clock on the dot. This Wednesday, July 26th. Holy. July almost done? It still feels really cool outside. Like, I'm wearing pants and it's like absolutely appropriate. Here at the end of July, just wild. Says it's going up to 25 degrees today. We shall see. Gareth Wheeler with you. At Wheeler TSN is where you find me on Twitter. I got a great WTF coming up later on in the show. Um, Last night I went to the Spoon concert at Massey Hall. It was amazing. I basically, every time Spoon comes to town, I go see them play. They are so good. And what went on in front of me was awesome. It was kind of disturbing. Absolutely distracting. And a little bit provocative. Not going to lie to you. A lot of big spoon, small spoon action? Well, yes. I wish it was just spooning that was going on in front of me in Massey Hall. I'll tell you the story in WTF uh, a little bit later on in the program. Christian Jack's going to join us. Uh, TSN soccer analyst Christian Jack. on An issue I want to get into off the top of the show. He's going to join me in the second hour of the program. And Mark Zucchino, we're going to shine a light, like I mentioned, on Canadian golf. What direction is Canadian golf going in? And it's really interesting. Mike Weir's in town for the Canadian Open. It's a big deal. One of the last Canadian Opens that will be played at Glen Abbey. And my producer Joe, producer Joe Narsa and I were chatting about this. What constitutes success for Canadian golf? Is it top Canadian golfers succeeding on the PGA Tour, worldwide tour? Like, Adam Hadwin's had a nice year, but there are so many events that you can rack up good results while the main competition, the big boys, aren't there. Hadwin's ranked 55th in the world. Not bad. If that was in tennis, he wouldn't even be part of the conversation. You know, like Milos Raonic is a big deal because he's a top 10 tennis player. Are we hitching our wagon to a guy that's 55th in the world? Does that constitute success? What about Graham Dillette, David Hearn? Like, there's some names out there who you would know and you would recognize, but are they at a level that they transcend the sport? That they get more people into the game of golf. And I thought we had a decent conversation on Monday about this as well. When at the British Open, there was 25 minutes between two shots. And it shows you just how slow moving the game is on a lot of different levels. And how the game, from a viewing perspective, simply isn't growing. Some of the numbers 
across this country. I'll share with you in a few moments' time in terms of participation, golf courses closing, the, the equipment, like the marketing industry of golf are all struggling right now. So it's worthwhile to have this conversation. Mark Zucchino is covering the Canadian Open. He's everywhere for TSN PGA Tour Radio. For us here on this station, he'll join me at 11.30 today. And he's kind of inside golf. So he can help bring back the curtain on the actual state of the game today. Because from where I said it doesn't paint a pretty picture. We're going to go there in a few moments' time. But I wanted to lead off with this story today. And this is great about this show. We want to make it kind of like Talk Back Toronto. We want you to have your say. So the phone lines are always open. 416-870-1050. 416-870-1050. And 1-855-591-6876. That is one 1- 855-591-6876 if you want to call us on our dime. It was a story that popped up on Monday. And it's a story near and dear to my own sports consuming habits. Promotion and relegation in sport is one that's having is an issue of great debate at least in terms of North American soccer circles. But I want to bring this to all North American sports. So earlier this week, a group offered MLS to take over all of their media rights. So how you consume the product both in the United States, in Canada, and they want to uh, distribute the the game worldwide. And a guy down in Miami involved with uh, a lower league, a lower level soccer club in Miami, he proposed to give, and he proposed this to all MLS owners and clubs, $4 billion come 2023 when their rights agreement with ESPN, TSN, and all of them run out. Offer them four, $4 billion over 10 years to distribute the media rights. But along with that, there was a big stipulation in play. And that was that MLS adopted a traditional, or what is traditional, especially the European game of soccer, in terms of promotion and relegation. So, for example, in the Premier League, if you are in the bottom three in the league, once the league season comes to an end, and there's only 20 teams in the Premier League as well, the bottom three teams drop down to a lower division. They make less money. On the television deal, they play different teams, lesser teams, so there's stakes involved. Now, there are parachute payments that kind of soften the economic, the financial blow of going down a division, and actually it can be quite lucrative, where you can make a lot of money and come right back up to the Premier League. You've seen a lot of teams bounce up and bounce down and remain financially completely stable, maybe even better off. And then the incentive for the lower divisions is teams working hard to build competitive teams. The top three teams, well, the top two teams in the lower division, they then get promoted up, and there's a playoff amongst the the next four to see who the third team would be to join the top division, the top flight. Now, it makes a lot of sense when you have a lot of teams to do so. But I want to bring this to all North American sport, whether it's Soccer, whether it's 
football, whether it's hockey and basketball. And hockey and basketball are the absolute, absolute worst culprits in this. Where a season can be defined as success. And it has been here in Toronto based upon a tank job going to plan and being rewarded for that with the first overall pick. That's not the way that North American professional sports should run for me. And it's a complete flaw in the sports leagues that we consume that we spend a whole lot of money on. There is nothing worse in North American sport than watching meaningless games. Like, the Blue Jays could be playing meaningless games for the next couple months. It's impressive, really impressive. There's still 40,000 going out to the ballpark. A lot of those tickets were sold anyways, but meaningless baseball, meaningless hockey, meaningless basketball, meaningless football, it's tough to watch when you know your team is just jockeying for a, for a draft position where, be, where you're actually being rewarded for failure. And that, for me, should not be the case. And Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, has come out and hit out against it, teams admitting that they're tanking. And there's been all kinds of suggestions on, to, on how to augment the way that the draft functions and works to kind of mitigate what these teams are trying to do to manipulate the system that they're playing under. So that's why we have a draft lottery. I mean, should your fate really be held in the hands of a draft lottery ball? I don't know. It seems a little bit unjust for me. So what if the Maple Leafs two years ago, they tanked, which they completely did, and didn't end up landing Austin Matthews? I mean, what if Austin Matthews wasn't on the Maple Leafs right now? We would be looking at things vastly different. And to say that's a proper rebuild, I think that's not entirely accurate. Winning a draft lottery does not constitute the way that teams should look about making themselves competitive again. But thus, here, here's where we are, and that's the case. In the NBA, if you fail, you hit it, you hit it big, good on you. If you get a LeBron James, a tr- transcendent player like that, good on you. But I would prefer to consume a league where every game, or not maybe every game, because that's tough to say, There's going to be teams in the mushy middle that are playing for nothing. But the vast majority of games mean something. Where the battle at the top of the table or the league is as intriguing as the teams fighting for survival. I don't think there's anything wrong with demanding greater stakes, higher stakes each and every game for the the teams that you watch. It makes that season more compelling. We get rid of this whole notion of, are we going to be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? Well, if you're sellers, then you're going to pay for it. And you're not going to be able to take the easy way out, just getting prospect collateral, promising your fan base something for the future that may or may not come good. Wouldn't you much rather see a system where poor teams, really bad teams, like the Philadelphia 76ers, are punished for their dysfunction. Instead of getting Joel Embiid and being able to trade for Markel Fultz. And and the list goes on and on. The top draft picks they've had in recent years. Just relegate them. Wouldn't it be great if there was another division 
where other teams could come up and then teams like that would go down? I, I mean, it, it would have been tough for Maple Leafs fans. It would have been a tough pill to swallow if the Maple Leafs somehow, some way, were relegated. But, I mean, those would have been the breaks. If you're that bad, then you got to go. If you're the management of your team and the players weren't able to step up and produce, shouldn't there be a punishment instead of a reward? And I want to hear from you on this. 416-870-1050. 416-870-1050. The number toll free is 1-855-591-6876. Do we have it wrong here in North America? The way that our professional leagues are structured. If you lose, how can we be rewarded? Or why should teams be rewarded? And wouldn't this get more markets interested? It's a way of also expanding the games as well. So instead of having 30, 32 teams in the professional league, you can have 50. You can have two different tables of 25 where teams can go up, teams can go down. Obviously, the stakes are higher in the, in, in the top league. They're lower in the big league. But in the lower league, you're competing to get back up to where you believe you should be. Smaller markets may be able to become involved There could be some Cinderella stories. Why are we so afraid of promotion relegation as an idea, as a concept, a competitive concept in North American sports? So 416-870-1050. At Wheeler TSN on Twitter. My poll question is, is today, and you can hit me up, at Wheeler TSN on Twitter, to this point. Would you welcome promotion relegation in North American pro sports? Yes, no more tanking, because that would be the ultimate deterrent to tanking. No, the risk is too great for all of these teams. Or three, it depends on the structure. You can text me at 105050. The email is alive at tsn1050.ca. And this is all stemming from the fact that MLS has rejected this media deal. That would have involved the league embracing promotion and relegation. $4 billion would have come their way. So is it time that North American sports finally engaged, embraced the whole idea of punishing teams for losing rather than rewarding them for high draft picks and really putting a true threat, which is relegation, into the fold? 416-870-1050. Let's start things off. Jack in Toronto. What's going on today, Jack? Hey, what's up? How are you doing, pal? Good. What do you think about this? The whole idea of promotion, relegation, and the idea of implementing it in North American sport. I agree with it it completely. I think this is what separates North American sports to to basically soccer. That's why soccer is more competitive, more appealing to so many people. So the the idea or what's pushed out the reason why these professional leagues are afraid to do this is because they say their owners in their leagues pay a lot of money for these franchises and they want certain guarantees. Well, I approach this this from a fan's perspective, Jack. I want certain guarantees year from year, year after year, that my team's going to do everything it can to win, not rebuild, not restructure, not bottom out to get draft picks. I just think that this creates a much more fan-friendly 
competitive, more compelling experience for the sports fan to wrap their head around. I agree. And you look at the Blue Jays, they're, they're basically, everyone's talking about blowing this team up. The next couple of months are going to be useless. Horrible to watch, right? The people coming up are still in, what, Class A? Right, and do you think all these teams that are selling off their assets in Major League Baseball right now, do you think they would do the same if there was relegation in play? Absolutely not. There's no chance. Hell no, they'd be saving their ass. Exactly, so instead of them playing in front of 2,000 people... They might be playing in front of 25,000 people because it would be compelling them trying to save their lives in terms of staying in the top flight of Major League Baseball. That would be compelling for me. I don't know about you. I'd watch that. Yeah, and even for the management, they would have to do their job. You look at, let's say, the Knicks and the function that they've had for, like, what, 20 years? Right. If they, if they didn't smarten up and start doing things properly... They would, like a franchise like that going to second division would be an embarrassment. Totally. And it, would, it would be on them forever. And their fans wouldn't stand for it. And, the, and the, the thing is, the Knicks, despite losing year after year, and this Philadelphia 76ers losing year after year, take your pick, the Colorado Avalanche in, in, in the NHL, year after year losing teams. Or, there's or no guarantees. I get that there's no guarantees with the draft, but still, odds are that they're, they're positioning themselves to get a better player. They're being rewarded with potential for their failures. I'm looking at it, soccer. Newcastle United went down division. Yep. That was embarrassing. They're like a top 10 team from Premier League for like 100 years. They've done that multiple times in recent years, and they just gained promotion back up to the Premier League this year, Jack. Thanks for your phone yeah. call. Appreciate it. It's a good example. A massive club, St. James's Park, a huge ground in the Premier League. I mean, they know the deal, and they use their financial might to get back up to the Premier League, and that's exactly where they'll be back this year. Is promotion relegation a good idea for North American sport? 416-870-1050. The text is 105050. Let's go out to the hammer. Mike, welcome to the program, pal. What do you think on this issue? Hey, hey uh, Wheels, first, I appreciate all your soccer talk. I mean, I turn over to your station because of uh, you're one of the main reasons. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. Um, the other thing is, you know, I've been a Canada soccer supporter since 1988, so obviously I appreciate you know what you have been doing for the you know for the team and talking about it and bringing the conversation out. And I completely agree with you about the uh, you know about the relegation and and having that stuff in, in in sports. If you take it to hockey, for example, like a team like Chicago Blackhawks for winning uh, the championships, they should be the one that are getting the first overall pick. And that's so you continue dynasties as opposed to giving the bad teams their rewards for finishing last. Right. And and, and maybe that's maybe that's a little bit too simplistic. Like these sports leagues, the people that run them are intelligent where in terms of the rules and how draft picks work, you could come up with some sort of equation where all teams, no matter what table they're competing in, have a chance at the that the number one or or a top draft pick. I don't know what that equation would necessarily look like, but you could have all teams involves in, in involved in that, and not just the loser teams. You know what I mean? Like the draft is the biggest um, detractor or the or the biggest hurdle that these professional sports leagues would face in trying to institute promotion relegation. Just how to make sure that it's done in an equitable and fair way. 
Yeah, and you know what? Some of these teams don't even have to try. I mean, I'll give you a quick example away from the professional sports. I mean, I coach soccer, and I've coached soccer for a long time. And in many levels, uh, we're not even keeping score or statistics or, uh, you know, team standings. And kids would ask me, hey, what place are we in, you know? And it's like it's a complacent kind of an attitude in North American sports where, you know, it's there's no motivation for trying to finish first. Um, you know, other than winning, but I mean, if you finish last, you're still okay because you're getting the first overall pick. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, the effort is, is not there, and, you know, people are playing for nothing, for no reason. Right, and it happens in professional sports, too. Like, how many times is a season done? Like, the Maple Leafs two years ago, their season was done in, what, February? January? Like, where's the incentive to watch for the last three months of the year? Like, there isn't any. <laughs> and that's a real problem when tickets are already sold, people are paying top dollar to go and consume a product, and yet you're being told, well, wait, be patient, we might be able to be good because we're going in a different direction. Well, I prefer a team to be going for it in the here and now. We're building in built-in excuses for teams to go out and fail, really, and really put a, put, put a uh, product on the field that doesn't deserve what, franchisers are charging for it. And we're saying and we that's okay we, because in the future, we may be better. And we have last thing. I, again, I appreciate what you do. Um, I'm sick and tired of listening to uh, you know, four or five hours of baseball talk every single day. So I appreciate your uh, you know, bright and horizon on the sports scene. And uh, again, I'll be listening. Thanks, pal. Appreciate it. 416-870-1050. Toll free at 1-855-591-6876. The text is 1050-50. The email live at tsn1050.ca at Wheeler TSN on Twitter. Uh, someone texting me, so we want teams run like the teacher's pension plan, how they ran the lease for a decade and a half? Not really sure what that meant because the teachers pension plan they were in charge of the maple Leafs over an era where they would spend more money than a lot of teams in the nhl when the, before the salary cap was in place i think people assume that the teachers pension plan never cared about winning because they only cared about making money i assume that's what he's trying to say but i'm with you that actually didn't happen that's joe narsa yeah the thing is with that if your ownership isn't committed to winning putting together a team that can compete for titles, championships year after year, they'll be exposed. Like right now, the current system protects owners that are just in it to make money. That's why so many people are in the business. If there's no threat of relegation, that each and every year you're going to be able to sit on and benefit from a lofty television contract, playing the best teams in whatever sport it is, then, then that's too comfortable for me. Someone else, hell yeah, relegation in NHL, NBA, best idea I've heard on the radio in a long time. It's an idea. I, 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 don't, I don't think it's a perfect idea. I think it needs some work on it and some tinkering. But thus far, the NHL and the NBA have not been able to curb tanking out of the sport. This was an issue a couple, like a month and a half ago. Mark Cuban, I believe, was on the Dan Patrick Show. Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, admitted they were tanking. Then Adam Silver had to come out and try to do damage control. Try to say, well, we can't embrace that in our sport. That's not exactly what Mark meant. But Adam Silver admitted that is a huge problem in the NBA. We actually had the debate about this Raptors team year after year has winning 50-plus games, whether or not they should tear it all down. 
Not bring back Lowry. Not bring back Ibaka. Look, to trade DeRozan. Like, this was an actual conversation in this city. This is a team that was in the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago. I, I, I'm sorry, just the whole bailout job, the whole idea that this is a way to construct a winner through losing is just one that's difficult for me to take. I understand that that's the way now in North American sport, but it's absolutely imperfect. And perhaps promotion, relegation is the way to go. And MLS, they continue to say, no, we're not going to do this. But with more and more teams wanting to join the league through expansion, get this, Toronto FC paid $10 million. Ten. That's less than Connor McDavid makes in a season now at the age of like 21, or what he will make two years from now. $10 million. Now in MLS, they're... Expansion teams are going for $125 million, and cities across the U.S. are lining up. There's interest in having teams, having two leagues, promotion, relegation. Man, oh man, they could be leaders in North American sport, showing how to properly execute. I'm intrigued, and whether Don Garber, the MLS commissioner, will potentially have a change of heart at some point. We'll continue this conversation uh, in the next hour of the program, Christian Jack is going to join us. He's lived with both. Lived with it overseas. He's a huge baseball fan, huge hockey fan as well. So we'll get his perspective on how or if that could work in North American sport. But coming up next, it's Mark Zacchino. We're going to shine our light on the state of Canadian golf. Courses are closing. Fewer people are playing. The market, the industry, going through a difficult time, yet it's our national tournament going on this week. What constitutes a win for Canadian golf here in 2017? Is it a professional player achieving, or does the industry need to evolve, take progressive steps to go in a different direction in order to achieve any kind of sustainable success? We'll chat about that with Mark Zacchino. That's coming up next. Wheels with you. This is Toronto Today, TSN 1050. What's up, Toronto? Wheels with you. This is Toronto Today. Christian Jack going to talk promotion relegation coming your way in the next hour of the program. And we may have lined up a special guest. Are we 100% Joe? No, not yet? Okay. I'll save it. It's a little bit of a tease, potentially a special guest coming your way at 12.35 today. It is Canadian Open Week. Thought we had a really good golf conversation on the program on Monday. Although it was incredible seeing Jordan Spieth do what he did at the British Open, responding after what was a compelling 13th hole, that's probably the best way of putting it. I was more focused on 25 minutes between two shots. And how this is how a lot of people that want to see changes made to the world of golf, this is exactly what they don't want to see. The sport's very slow. They're having a tough time attracting the younger golfer, player and fan to the sport. In fact, the sport in general is in a difficult spot. Golf Canada and the PGA of Canada published a report on the country's golf facilities and identified 158 courses that had closed in the preceding decade, while 17 were just 17 were under construction at that time. 
In June 2017, an additional 51 closures had taken place with 22 courses either in construction or in the planning stages. Things are going in the wrong way. Courses are closing. In the United States, golf course closings have outpaced openings in each of the past 10 years. The National Golf Foundation in that country says that just under 500 18 old courses have been opened since 2005, and in that decade that preceded, almost 5,000 courses opened. And this isn't just with golf courses. Nike pulled out of the golf game with Phil Knight saying that they lost money on equipment and balls for 20 years straight. So where are we in terms of Canadian golf? Like Mike, Mike Weir was supposed to bring on this, this great era of golf that would come after, after he won the Masters. And right now in the golf world, yeah, we have good Canadian golfers. Graham DeLatte, David Hearn, Adam Adwin's 55th overall. Well, 55. I mean, people are critical of Milos Raonic, and he's in the top 10 in tennis. So where are we in terms of a golf country right now as we celebrate our national tournament this week at Glen Abbey? Mark Zucchino, host of Golf Talk Canada, right here on TSN 1050, PGA Tour Radio. He's a very busy man, but taking some time to join us on the program, at Mark Zucchino on Twitter. Um, Mark, we wanted to have you on because Joe Narsa and I, uh, my producer, were having this conversation what would be deemed a successful week for Canadian golf? Is it everything to do with sponsorship money, ticket sales, general in- interest in the event, a Canadian winner? Like, what would be deemed a success for Canadian golf this week? Yeah, that's a good. Hey, Wills. First of all, how are you doing, man? Uh, doing second, awesome, pal. Good. Um, yeah, that's a good question, uh, it, and it depends on who who you are, right? Are you Golf Canada? If you're Golf Canada. I think it all has to do with attendance and finances, which um, never really is in question when they have the Canadian Open in the GTA, or at least in Southern Ontario, if we want to just broaden the GTA a bit. So from a financial success and attendance success, never in question. Uh, Always in question when they move the tournament around the country, which is a point of discussion and a, a bit of controversy because Golf Canada believes a national championship should move around and see other parts of the country in order to order for it to be a true Canadian Open, but it's not a financial success. It's not an attendance success. I think from a fan perspective and a media perspective, we need to have a Canadian or two contend and be a part of the storyline on Sunday, like we saw a couple of years ago with David Hurt, who had a you know a legitimate opportunity to win this thing down the stretch and ended up you know, not getting it done, but was right there knocking on the door right up to the, you know, the final hole on Sunday. I think from a fan perspective and and interest in terms of, you know, watching it on television, et cetera, I think we need something like that uh, to be a success. So, you know, two different sides of the equation and uh, two very different stories, really. When Mike Weir won the Masters, I mean, he transcended the sport of golf. Like, really, across this country, he became an instant national treasure, um, a hero to many. I mean, it was just an incredible accomplishment, right? Where are we today? Like, has Canada Golf fully taken advantage of what Mike Weir gave the sport with his Masters win? Yeah, I think the problem, Wheels, is that there was two opposite uh, forces, uh, polar opposites, fighting each other in the same direction since 2003. So if I look at the professional game, I go, okay, 
leaps and bounds ahead of where we were since Mike Weir's 2003 win. We've got 17 Canadians in the field this week at uh, Glen Abbey, many of which have a legitimate chance to win, two of which have a win this year on the PGA Tour and a 59 under their belt, and someone who will more than likely be on the President's Cup team. Uh, come the end of this year down in New York for the, for the international team. I look at the, what the Canadians on the web.com. I look at the success of PGA Tour Canada and the people that they've graduated all the way to the big tour. I look at Brooke Henderson, what's happening in the ladies game. That was all healthy. Uh, Golf Canada, uh, you know, putting money uh, into the program, better coaching, better facilities, you name it. Kind of like what we do with, you know, our hockey programs and other successful, you know, minor sports and amateur sports here. In Canada, we still have a long way to go, but well, well beyond where we were. But then I look at the participation and the amateur game and, you know, your weekend warrior and introducing people to the game of golf. And Canada, like the rest of North America, since 2008, has had everything in the planet working against it. Now, the U.S. numbers are way worse in Canada because their real estate market just got hammered compared to the Canadian real estate market right. that was able, and the economy was able to, you know, kind of hold the fort a bit. So their contraction was much bigger than ours, but it was still a contraction and a correction. Uh, golf community went out of their minds with Tiger Woods. And in every other sport, in every other business around the world, when you see a spike on the radar like a Tiger Woods, they're smart enough to realize this is a spike. This is not the norm. This is a spike. Let's take the gravy train while we can get it, but we don't build our business models around it. Well, the golf community, for some reason, was not bright enough to realize that everybody who's going to come to this sport because of Tiger Woods doesn't mean they're going to stay. This is a spike. Let's enjoy it while it's here, but it's more slow, solid building blocks and you don't build your business plan around this, you know, outlier, so to speak. And that's what Tiger Woods was. Uh, I'll give you an example. I watch the Blue Jays when they have a chance to win the World Series. Without that, I could not care less about baseball and would never watch a baseball game. My right. wife and son want to go down to the you know, Rogers Center and watch a game. You can't get me to sit through nine hours of regular season meaningless baseball. Well, there's a lot of people that were introduced to golf and watch golf because of Tiger. And the minute Tiger goes away, or the minute Tiger isn't winning by eight shots, or the minute that kind of hype's over, there they go. They're gone from the sport, and they're gone for good. And for some reason, the leaders in the golf community were not smart enough, or maybe they were just too greedy. I don't know. But they made major mistakes along the way to build the blueprint around that, and that's why you're seeing the contraction still to this day. I, I like how you went there, and that's Mark Zucchino, Golf Talk Canada on TSN, TSN 1050, I'm Wheels. Um, because Tiger Woods was a bigger influence on Canadian golf, I'd say, than Mike Weir. And, and, and that's no disrespect to Mike Weir and what he's done. It's just Tiger Woods, the entire golf world revolved around him. And what we've seen, Mark, sponsor, sponsors have stayed, you know, stayed loyal to the sport. Like, whether it be programming, whether it be tournaments... The money's there, and you need to look no further than some of the purses, some of the, the, the prize pool monies that are given out at tournaments where they're not that big. They're not even the prestigious ones. Like There are incredible sums of money on the line for these golfers, yet there's a disconnect between what's, be, what's available right now to the professional player and where things are trending for the weekend warrior, as you put it. Why is there such a disconnect between the golf industry that's struggling so much 
at a professional tour that's continuing to thrive? I think because the professional tour thrives wheels because it's built on advertising and sponsoring, like you suggested, and they will stick with it because ratings are still good in professional golf. People are watching. People are engaged from a fan perspective at the professional level. And the hardcore golf fan, the person watching it from a demographic standpoint, advertisers advertisers love it because these people are going out and they're buying $100,000 cars. They're taking vacations. They're buying Rolex watches. So if you look at the brands associated with golf, Mercedes, Rolex, etc., they don't care. They're happy because they're hitting the nail on their head in terms of the person that they want to uh, get that brand association with. So that all works at the professional level. Now, don't kid yourself. Tiger has created all of that. In 1996, Wheels, I remember him holding up a check, a winner's check in 96 for like 310000 Yeah, Are you kidding me? 310000 Now these guys won't get out of bed for 310000 you, you get it for showing up. <laughs> right? yeah, exactly, right? So, you know, that's what's happening at, at, at the professional level. But it's, it's so different than what the amateur level is and the participation level. Like, and it is no, the worst case scenario, or sorry, the most um, extreme case, I should say, of this coast to coast is right here in the city of Toronto. You know, uh, you look at Prince Edward Island this year. Uh, th- for the three-month uh, peak season of the summer, they let kids play golf for free. So if you came with a parent... Are they really? Yeah. Huh. So they're trying to give back. There's places, there's communities around... Uh, golf Ontario is doing some great stuff outside of Toronto. Up in Barrie, they've got some great junior programs. There are things happening around the country to realize the problem that you're talking about and to get it going. But the problem in Toronto is Toronto has Toronto problems. A lot of times we talk about things... We talk about this stuff with the Argos. We talk about this stuff uh, fighting over the entertainment dollar. Toronto has American problems. We have big city problems. And the rest of Canada, I think, a lot of time looks at us and shakes their head. Um, I have a friend working out in British Columbia right now. There's a golf course out there called Tobiano. It's one of the top 20 golf courses in the country, hands down. He plays it for sixty dollars wow. every uh, every week. Okay, um, and meanwhile, in the, you know, in the city of Toronto, we're paying over two hundred dollars to play premium golf, one hundred eighty dollars to play premium golf. Uh, private clubs still can't see the forest through the trees. Uh, you know, trying to get fifty thousand dollars of initiation out of thirty somethings instead of realizing we got to get young people into clubs and things like that. So. You know, uh, Toronto problems are, are Toronto problems, and I hope people don't look at them as Canadian problems. But yeah, generally speaking, uh, we're in a recovery mode. Well, and, but, but at the same time, Mark, and I'm just going to cut you off quickly. Yeah. Like, I, I know some courses have started waiving initiation fees, um, and the price to play the game is coming down. Uh, but another problem is the fact that a lot of people within the golf industry are now leaving and getting out because they're unable to make enough money to put a roof over their head, whether it's being a golf professional or whatever. And, you know, having a really important and really great career, well, it's not so much if you can't make the cash. And even beyond the money and the dollars and cents, there are some courses around the province of Ontario that have moved away from 18 holes to 12 holes because it takes too long to play 18 holes. And they're finding that they need to take drastic measures to speed up the game of golf. Courses have experimented with larger holes. Like, is that where we're heading? That it's not just going to take a drop in the price to get people out, but the way the game is fundamentally played. I don't think the larger holes and, you know, kind of hokey, like, you know, golf frisbee or, you know, 
soccer, baseball, things like that. I don't think they ever really uh, grab. But I think time, time is the biggest challenge, uh, maybe even more so than financial commitment wheels. Time is the biggest challenge. As you know, I'm a member at a nine-hole golf course. And I always say to my friends and my family that if I wasn't a member at a nine-hole golf course and I was a member at an 18-hole golf course, I would probably play a third of the golf that I'm able to play. Because I'll go out and play four holes, and I'll play seven holes, and then I'll play nine holes. And we're seeing 12-hole golf courses and nine-hole green fee rates. And I think that's the way it needs to go. I think people need to get their head around the fact that, you know, golf does not have to be a five, six-hour, 18-hole experience by the time you leave your house. The time commitment, I think time is, you know, just the most expensive asset we have now. People don't have time. We live busy lives, especially in this city. And, and it's, you know, it's getting busier and time commitments are huge and employers want more out of you and your family uh, requirements and things of that nature. It's hard to get around. Um, time is everything, sure. and, and it's challenging and, the golf community. So and, I think nine holes is what you're going to start seeing. And, Mark, and that's why when I watched on Sunday, that's why I came in and said, you know what, as spectacular as, as it was watching Jordan Spieth, you know, through those final holes, like that was – the 25 minutes between shots was everything wrong with the game of golf. Like he wasn't penalized for taking 25 minutes between shots. That's crazy for me. If time is everything, well, why isn't the guy being penalized for taking so long? You know, that, that's why I'm curious how you would, how you approach it. Cause yes, it was compelling, but it took forever. Well, I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, and if our one hour TV specials is today at one o'clock, Great. And it's, it's a wrap up and you know, we do winners, weird and what the good, the bad and the ugly every week. And my, what was, you know, what a circus what that became with Jordan Spieth and, and the ball drop. And even more so around this wheels is that was all controlled from start to finish from the RNA official on site right there attached to Jordan's hip the entire way. He was leading that process and that process does not have to be that complicated. There are three choices there, all of which Jordan knows that is yes, a little bit more extended than the normal two to three minute process, probably somewhere in the five to seven minute range. Once they head back into the range and are dealing with, you know, uh, equipment trucks and TV towers and things of that nature that you would not normally find on a golf course, but 20, 25 minutes, that was an absolute disgrace, an absolute joke. I don't blame Jordan. No I blame the official yep. right there. Uh, and Jordan had the, had the class to apologize to Kuchar several times. He knew it was wrong, but what is the official doing? The official should be grabbing that bull by the hordes, steering that thing and telling Jordan, you know what, if you're eliminating going back to the tee and you're eliminating a two-club length drop right now, two of the three options, then we, let's get back there right now, find a location, drop it, and get this ship moving. I have no clue what all that conversation was. They made that way more confusing than what it, what it needs to be. And again, although it made for interesting and at some points laughable television, it's an example of everything that's wrong with the game of golf. Totally. To every, and everything after that. <laughs> Was what's good with the game? You know, I, I always respect your opinion. I mean, you're in the game of golf. That's why I thank you for kind of validating what I was putting out there. I was like, am I on an island here? Because everyone was saying how awesome it was. But I'm like, no, this is a real problem. Um, Mark, appreciate you taking some time. I know you're extremely busy this week. Enjoy the Canadian Open. Looking forward to all of your coverage over the course of the week. Okay, buddy? 
Thanks, Will. Mark Zucchino, host of Golf Talk Canada on TSN, TSN 1050, uh, joining us. He'll be covering it for the television side, online, digital, radio, all week long from Glen Abbey in Oakville. We'll tee up the next hour of the program. I got some thoughts on Jeannie Bouchard. She's doing a media tour right now. Um, I'll, I'll save them for the top of the clock, okay? And more on promotion relegation. All that coming up, TSN 1050. Toronto, 11.53, WTF coming up next hour. What I saw last night at the Spoon concert, what was going on in the row right in front of me, it was special. Let's put it that way. Be one of the highlights of WTF. And if you're a Chicago Bears fan, you may or may not want to tune in. This stat kind of blows my mind that I will share in WTF. Christian Jack coming up next hour. Just got confirmation. I love this story. Not just because I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Apologize if you support any other team out there in the NFL. That's fine. But what's compelling to me, and rugby, it's been a big summer of rugby here in the city of Toronto with the birth, the introduction to the Toronto Wolfpack. I mean, it's, it's kind of the undertold little special secret that's going on at Lamport Stadium. Uh, they being a hit on the field and off the field as well. And it just shows you what a diverse sporting city we actually are. And I've, I've long been a, a rugby guy. Um, and I was kind of converted into a rugby sevens guy as well. I, I wasn't at first, but it's won me over. And Ken has a really solid rugby sevens program. And a player named Adam Zaruba... He's a beast, okay? Six foot five, 265 pounds, comes from just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia. So this week he made headlines signing a contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. Canadian rugby player turned NFL player, and Adam Zaruba will join us at 12:35 today. How does one make the transition from rugby player to football player? Is it that easy? How was he discovered? Adam will help. Tell his story at 12.35 today. So KJ coming up at 12.15. More on promotion relegation. Continue to cast your vote on Twitter at WheelerTSN. Do you support the idea of it in North American pro sport? Have your say. And the text is 10.50.50. So all that coming up. Wheels with you. This is Toronto Today.